Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookin brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is New York Times best-selling author B.A. Shapiro. She is the author of The Collector's Apprentice, The Muralist, The Art Forger, and many more wonderful books. Her new book is Metropolis, which is published by our friends at Algonquin Books of Chapel Hill. Barb, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be back. It is an honor to have you here. And this is the second time you've been on. The last time was for your previous novel. Uh, the world has changed a little bit uh, between then and now. How have you been these past couple of years? Yeah, well, um, <laughs> I've survived very well uh, compared to a lot of people. Um, and one of the things about you know being quarantined is I got a lot of writing done. So. Yeah. There, there was that, uh, you know, it hasn't been easy on anybody and doesn't look like it's getting any easier. Yeah, it sure doesn't. Um, we made it pretty far. Uh, my family did and, and all of the staff here at Quill Ridge Books before anybody got um, COVID, but uh, my son started kindergarten this year. So we did eventually get it. But by that time, it was one of the later variants and was no worse than a, a common cold, which was well, good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, thank you, Barb. I'm glad you got a lot of writing done. Let's now dive into your excellent new novel, Metropolis. Uh, Metropolis in your novel is the name of a storage facility. Uh, what made you want to write about a storage facility? Well, I didn't really want to write about a storage facility. It uh -huh. turned out to be a way to write the story that I wanted. I had wanted to write a story that was that had an ensemble cast mm -hmm. of a bunch of different characters who normally would never have crossed paths and they come from different socioeconomic backgrounds mm -hmm. and uh, they're black, they're white, they're brown, they're gay, they're straight, they're, you know, all completely different. Mm -hmm. And um, I was looking for a, a venue or something where a bunch of people like that could meet. And, you know, when you think about it, there really aren't that many because we tend to stick to our own little neighborhoods and people who are like us. So uh, this idea was just germinating in the back of my head. And one day I just stumbled on an article in the Boston Globe about this self-storage facility that wasn't like what you normally see on the side of the highway, but it was this big brick monstrosity that looked a little bit like a medieval castle with turrets and all kinds of stuff. And it's, it's sitting right across the street from MIT. And they had pictures in the article of all of these people who, you know, were, you know, it was a motley crew of people and even greater motley crew of possessions. And I thought, perfect. This is where all of these people could possibly meet each other. 
So it came as a secondary thing and then it became just so much fun. <laughs> yeah. And you can tell that it was fun um, when you're reading the book. Have you ever rented a storage facility or in your experience, uh, do people often live in them or have offices in them? What else do folks use them for besides storage? Um, well, it depends. I've actually never rented a storage unit. <laughs> uh -huh. so I had to do all the research on it, yeah. but, um, you know, obviously people are not supposed to live. It's actually against the law, uh, mm. but people do it. Uh, it is not all that uncommon. It's more difficult in places that don't have heat and air conditioning, but a lot of places do because, you know, people are storing wine and, and, you know, art. And so people can do that. I, I do actually know of a person who had an office in a self-storage unit and, uh, you know, I just made up the rest. Yeah, that's very good. I have a couple of experiences with self-storage units, mostly oh, yeah? a long time ago. I was in a band that practiced in one and oh, really? I've been in a recording studio that was set up in one. And then once I bought a uh, PA system from someone who was doing like the storage wars thing, like happens in the beginning year book yeah. where people bid on what's behind the door. And I, um, the PA system came, I think it belonged to a church choir because it came with a bunch of tambourines and um, like gospel cassettes and things. But um Anyhow, you, you never know what you're going to run into in these places, which is what makes your book so fascinating. Um, you mentioned all of the characters that you're working with, and I now want to ask you a writerly question. Uh, why choose to alternate chapters with each chapter featuring a different character? Does this make it more interesting for you to write? <laughs> and is it tough to keep up with? Like, do you alternate as you write or do you write each character's story from beginning to end and then slice the chapters up and put the book together? Um, well, that's a lot of questions. Uh, <laughs> I, um, actually really like having, you know, jumping from one character to another character, as long as the writer is very careful about letting the reader know what is going on and whose voice you're in. And I like to separate them into separate chapters for that reason, mm -hmm. so that the readers aren't confused. I, um, it works very well for plot because you can drop off at the end of one chapter and pick up someone else's story. So I have six major characters and each one of them has their own story arc. And then they have the overriding story arc that they're interacting with. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the way I keep track of it is I have a slew of multicolored file cards. I think nice. we talked about this last time. Yeah. And each character had a different color. And I worked out their stories. Each one of them had the beginning, middle, and end. And then I moved them all around at my dining room table to try and fit all the pieces together. And then I started writing it and changed it all. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, thank you. It's always good to get uh, insight into a writer's process like that. Um, you mentioned the research that you had to do on uh, self-storage units and facilities earlier. I want to ask you another question about research. Um, we talked about this last time a little bit also. I love 
uh, fiction that has to do with art. It's just one of the things I've always been into, and you do it so well. Um, I want to ask you about artistic mediums and especially the tools that artists use. I know the work you've done with painting, and I now want to talk to you about photography. Uh, earlier in your novel, and forgive me if I'm butchering the pronunciation, you mentioned a uh, Raleigh Flex camera. Um, how much research do you do, Barb, on paints? canvases, tools, cameras, film, developing, etc., in order to write novels about what you do in the way that you do, you have to know a tremendous amount about the tools of the trade. So can you walk us through how you gain this knowledge? Well, the idea for street photography came to me after I watched a film on Vivian Meyer, Finding Vivian Mayer, Finding mm -hmm. Vivian Mayer. Mm -hmm. And it, it, she is like this incredibly uh, enigmatic uh, street photographer from like the 1950s. Mm -hmm. And she took thousands and thousands of pictures. She was a nanny and she went around the country living in different places and taking these pictures. And they're so amazing. She never showed any to anybody. Nobody saw them until after she died. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't know how she does it. Cause I went out and tried. That's another mm -hmm. thing that writers do. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and my son told me, don't post any of those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but she, you know, it'll be a picture of a person going through everyday life. Mm -hmm. And somehow she takes the photo and it reveals like who the person is. And it asks the viewer, you know, what's the story here? Mm -hmm. And somehow she also gets it like universal human truths that, you know, you look at these photos and it's like, wow. And then she does the same thing for streetscapes where mm. there aren't any people in them at all. And yet somehow that also says something about the human condition. So I was just blown away by her. And, you know, I read books about her and I started getting a lot of, uh, you know, checking out all of her work. And my son is a photographer. So he helped me with a lot of it about the role of flex and how it worked. And, um, and so, and as I said, I went out and tried to take street photography and realized that, yeah, you need a lot of talent to do this. It's not like just going out. And I think, you know, in the past, I've written about, you know, Degas and uh, written about the post-impressionists and the abstract expressionists, but, and people know about that art. I think street photography is something most people don't know about. And so on my mission <laughs> to get people to think more about this particular art form and to appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, and I'm going to ask you more about those types of photos later. Um, are there any specific books about that photographer, um, Maya, that you would recommend for our listeners? Um, yes, there's a new biography out. Um, do I remember the name of it? Uh, no, but it's it's really, it, it just came out. So okay. it, you just Google Vivian Meyer, then uh, it will come up. And uh, she's... Sure. She's quite a character. So my character in the book, Serge, who is the street photographer, is based on her, very loosely based, obviously. 
Yeah, and we'll look that title up and put it in the show notes. Um, you mentioned uh, you um, attempting street photography, uh, which is fantastic. Are you a visual artist otherwise? Like when you write about painters, do you then go and try to paint? <laughs> yeah, if you saw my paintings, you wouldn't ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's but, always interesting. Um, yeah, uh, no, I just love art. Um, I don't know. Do you, are you an artist? Um, not really. I'm a musician and I, I write, but, um, I, I don't really paint. I mean, I'll draw with my six-year-old son is drawing, et cetera, but he's better than I am. Oh yeah. That's the scary part. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm just fascinated by it like you are. And, um, I like to, in my books, I like to, you know, they say you should write what you know, mm-hmm. but you know, I don't know all that much. And I've written a bunch of books and I ran out. So I like to write what I want to know about. So yes. I wanted to know about street photography. And this gave me the perfect excuse to spend a lot of time doing it, calling it research and uh, procrastinating from actually writing the book. <laughs> That's excellent. Thank you so much, Barb. Listeners, we're going to take a short break here for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with B.A. Shapiro. The Book and Podcast is brought to you by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM allows you to buy audiobooks directly through your favorite local independent bookstore like Explore Booksellers. Continue to put money back into your local economy and help local bookstores thrive. Please navigate to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your local independent bookstores in the process. I'm back with B.A. Shapiro, author of Metropolis, which is published by our friends at Algonquin Books of Chapel Hill. Barb, I want to ask you about the character Rose. Um, For our listeners, can you tell us what is her role in Metropolis and what is going on with her solicitation of cash payments from certain residents of Metropolis? Well, Rose is the manager of Mm -hmm. Metropolis. And she, the owner, Zach, who is also a character, pretty much leaves her on her own. He's not all that interested in it except for getting the checks. And uh, she comes from a working class background. Her husband uh, has, you know, a blue collar job and he also has physical problems and they're struggling. They have three kids and they're struggling. And her son is getting it, her teenage son's getting into trouble and she needs money. So what she does is she takes money from the people who are living there because she knows they're living there and she gives them the key to the janitor's closet so they can take showers and do things like that. So she is, this is not only is it illegal for them to live there, it's illegal for her to be taking the money. And of course, Zach, the owner doesn't know anything about it. Hmm. So, um, Basically, all of the characters have some secret, and this is Rose's secret that this is what she's doing. And 
in she goes in and out of the main plot as well as her own plot and you know ultimately is a very big character in what becomes the climax of the book yeah and um Barb, outside of the novel, uh, do people ever get away with things like this, you know, taking cash and, and banking it? Or would we even know if they have? You know, if they get away with it, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, it just makes sense that it could happen. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, it would it'd be tricky, but I'm sure some people pull it off. Well, thank you very much. Um there's a passage in your novel where you begin to talk about Venezuela and particularly a Venezuelan truth commission. What is a truth commission? <laughs> Just what it sounds like. <laughs> it is uh, Maduro just, you know, deciding what is truth and what isn't truth. And, uh, Marta, who is the character who is a Venezuelan, uh, she's actually working on her doctoral dissertation, and uh, she was deported. Um, and uh, so she's hiding from ICE in her, um, in her storage unit, finishing up her doctoral dissertation. And she, uh, her family, uh, he has killed her father and her brother, her mother and sisters have gone into hiding. And she's in the United States going to school. She has no idea where they are. And uh, she, you know, if she's deported back there, they'll kill her too. Yeah. And um, is anything like uh, the implementation of a, a truth commission going on in the United States right now? I think of the <laughs> Patriot Act and much that has happened since. You know, that, I'm not sure we should go into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's up to you. Um, you know, I find the Orwellian names of these things uh, to be both hilarious and terrifying. Personally. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I next want to ask you about a quote. You write, uh, quote, the truest picture is the one where the person has no idea he is in the photograph when he's not pretending to be someone else, end quote. Can you tell me more about this statement? Well, this is Serge, uh, the street photographer, obviously, and this is what he is trying to find. And this is also what Vivian Meyer was trying to find, yeah. uh, who people really are and to take a moment uh, when they're not pretending, when they're not, you know, they're not trying to be somebody mm -hmm. and turn that into a, you know, a question about them or a statement about them that mm -hmm. is, truer than the many faces that we put on. And mm -hmm. I believe that's true. I mean, it's, it's a very interesting kind of idea, mm -hmm. you know, all the many faces that we put on, which is my next book that I'm working on now about that. <laughs> Ooh, nice, nice. Um, that's fantastic news. Well, what is your favorite photograph of a person who does not know they are being photographed? Oh, she has so many. She has so many. Um, there, there was one, which I think I think I included in the book, and it was a photograph of 
three women. Um, they were black and Hispanic and they were waiting for a bus mm-hmm. and they had their bags around them. You could kind of tell that they had, you know, gone to work, you know, somewhere in the city and now they were going home and they all had this incredibly exhausted looks on their faces. And mm-hmm. you looked at them and you saw that person, that person who does that every day, who mm-hmm. goes in with these burdens to live, to work so that they can support their children, give their children, you know, a better life than they've had. And mm-hmm. it was all right there in one shot. How do you do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Timing is everything, right? Um, yeah. So Barb, I spend a lot of time thinking about um, social media, mostly because um, A, that's how we do like 100% of our marketing. Um, and B, uh, a lot of people kind of write about uh, social media and mental health. And, and I've had guests on the program that have talked about these types of things. Um, but it strikes me as we're talking um, that one of the conversations around social media is that people are only presenting like their best selves on um, these platforms, Facebook, uh, Twitter, et cetera. Um, do you think there's an analogy between that people presenting their best selves on social media and the person who does know that they're being photographed and is presenting kind of this face to the photographer that otherwise uh, wouldn't be captured? Yeah, absolutely. That's great. I, I hadn't thought about it like that. But yeah, social social media is all about what we look like, what people are thinking about us, about our lives or our achievements or whatever it is. So you're not real. I mean, how can you how can you possibly be who you really are? And uh, yeah, I think you, you hit that exactly. It's, um, it's the opposite. So what Serge is trying to do and what Vivian Meyer did is get beyond that, get beyond the social media screaming, me, 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 to, you know, who we really are when we're off the screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, Barb, uh, we've spoken about many themes, but barely touched upon the surface of this novel. I can't wait for our listeners to read it. And I know we here at Quail Ridge Books have uh, many, many um, customers and patrons who are fans of your work. Uh, I do have one final question and I'm gonna continue to talk about Serge here, um, who is the photographer in your book, as we've spoken about. He, at one point in the book, had never shown a photograph to anyone. Um, And my question using this as context is, is Serge a true artist, someone, in other words, who is creating art here for the art's sake and for his, the artist's sake, or is the true artist someone who finds the potential for commercial success and goes for it, or neither, or both? (laughs) Well, okay, there's another complicated question. Serge is totally and completely an artist Mm -hmm. and he isn't focused on the commercial, which is one of the things I wanted to put in there. Um, He and and Vivian Meyer was like this too. She never showed any of her photos to anybody. It Mm. is just a process that, that he does, which to me does make him 
a true artist because he's not concerned at all about the commercial value of what he's doing. He's not thinking at all. Um, like I'm sure, you know, when you play music, part of what you have to decide is who the audience is and what are the, what's the music they're going to like. When I write, it's the same thing. You know, who is my audience? What are the, you know, they expect to have some art in it, you know, and he didn't play to that at all. He just mm -hmm. did the art that came to him. So I'm not saying that somebody who is a commercial success isn't an artist, but I guess if you think about the essence of it, maybe mm -hmm. a person who is just doing it for the value of what they're doing, I guess you could say, you know, so maybe they're a truer artist, but I don't even know if that's true. Yeah. So yeah. all of the above, none of the above. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, do you think that once um, commercial success or maybe not even uh, commercial success, but um, the ability to make a living off of artwork, once that enters the equation, does it necessarily change the approach to creating art? <laughs> well, in the world of writing, I think, and from the research I've done with, uh, with art, it, it is the same because once mm -hmm. You have people paying you to, you know, for your music, for your art, for your writing, then, and you quit your day job, yeah. then it is upon you in order to make a living mm -hmm. to write what will sell or play what will sell or, or paint what will sell. And some of the most famous artists from, you know, years ago, you know, they had patrons and the patrons asked them to paint this or paint this, paint my daughter, do that. And they did. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I want to sell my books. I don't want to write just for myself. I want mm -hmm. people to read it and think about it, enjoy it. Um, but I, I don't, you know, it's, it's a very interesting question. You always ask very interesting questions. <laughs> well, thank you, Barb. That's part of my job. Um, yeah. Thank you for, for bringing it up. Well, and thank you again, as always, for writing your wonderful books. I always look forward to them. And now that I know what you're working on now, I can't wait for that one. <laughs> it's a crazy one. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Well, listeners, I've been speaking with B.A. Shapiro, author of Metropolis, which is published by our friends at Algonquin Books of Chapel Hill. Barb, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Jason. It was great fun, as always. Once again, I would like to thank B.A. Shapiro for joining me. Copies of Metropolis can be ordered from www.explorebooksellers.com. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookin'.